chapter 2. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that an antichrist shall come, even now are there many antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is an antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. 
But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that every one that doeth righteousness is born of him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that as we dive into your word, we ask that the seed of your word would find fertile soil in our souls, Lord. That we would not just hear it, that we would not just be hearers of the word, but we, we do, uh, that we would also be doers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning, as, as we've, you know, we are in First uh, John, we've been, uh, we started last week in, uh, in chapter 1, now we're in chapter 2, and so we started this whole series of, of you know, the first general epistle of John, or the first general letter of John. That's, the word epistle just means letter, that's all it is. And we know that the main purpose of this book is how to walk in the light with the word of life. That was revealed to us last week in uh, chapter 1. Basically what that means is how to walk with Jesus in everyday life, or how to live in the light. We need to know, and so because of that, we know that this book is written to believers. It's not written to the unsaved, it is written to believers. So when John is talking, he is talking to believers. He's not talking to those that have, you know, are, are casual you know, ones. He's talking about ones that are true believers in Christ. And so when we get into this, and actually you, you begin to uh, dive into it, this book is what Hebrews chapter uh, 5, verses 12 and 14 refer to as strong meat. This is not milk. This is what the Bible calls strong meat. And so when you begin to look at it, there's a whole lot more. And if I were to go into everything you know, that is revealed just in chapter 2, it would be about two or, uh, two or three weeks uh, of that. But I'm not going to. But the thing is, is that that encourages us that we ourselves should also dive into it as well. That what we get is not just from Sunday morning when I get up here and, and preach, but that we should actually say, you know what, I want to know what else is in there. You know, I'm only able, you know, to, you know, to get up here for, you know, a short period of time, but we ourselves need to dive into God's word and realize uh, what he's saying. So like I said, John is writing this letter to believers. So if you're saved, this is for you, all right? And so we're going to look at, we're going to start off in verses 1 through 11. I want to look at verse, uh, verse 1 here of chapter 2. It says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So if we look at that, just that first three words in there, it says, my little children. My little children. And this could possibly mean those that uh, John has brought to the Lord through, you know, witnessing or soul winning when he went out. Uh, these are you know, possibly new believers, or they're possibly literal children. They're actually like little children. The reason why it could be uh, little children is because of the fact that we see in verses 12 and 14 that he talks about little children, fathers, and young men. So when, he's, when this is being read, it's not just being read to the adults in the service. It's being read to everyone. It's not just to those you know, uh, you know, that are out of, because let's face it, children's church and all that kind of stuff did not exist until about 50 years ago, 50, 60 years ago. That's when they started, everybody started breaking them all up. Everybody was together in the service. So when he's talking about that, he says, my little children. So it could be, you know, like I said, actual children, or it could be uh, baby Christians. The next part is, these things write I unto you that ye sin not, and if any man sin. 
I wanted to stop there because of the fact that this is oftentimes spoken of as being Christian perfection. And I know at this moment I need to uh, admit something that I was wrong at. I was wrong in the fact of, of preaching Christian perfection. This, does not, this verse does not teach Christian perfection. What it teaches, and what Christian perfection basically says is that you're able to um, be without, you know, you could possibly live without sin. Yes, you can, in a sense. But the thing is, is that we are going to sin, right? And so I was basically along the lines of saying, it's possible that you can live your entire life without sin. Some people refer to it as sinless perfection, but anybody that's in that crowd would say, it's not sinless perfection, it's Christian perfection. And so I need to apologize for being led astray because the thing is is that in my mind i read it i you know kept on looking at it and what i need to realize you know i need to, to look at again is the fact that chapters and verses were not in there when he originally wrote it we want to separate we want to you know we see a verse and we just want to take that one verse and not in context of the entire letter or you know, of the entire Bible as a whole. And we want to just frame it down into that one and says, see right there it says that we should sin not. And we shouldn't. But we take, you know, but uh, that crowd takes it a little bit too far in the fact, you know, that they don't read the next part that says, and if any man sin. Forgetting also the previous three verses in chapter 1 that says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, you see, have not sinned, as in the past, we make him a liar and his, his word is not in us. And so if we if we remove those parts or, 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 you know, even just take that little small bracket and we say, we just kind of compartmentalize it and, and, and kind of puzzle it all, you know, and, and make it our own little thing, we can say, well, see, when you, you know, Christian perfection is true. But if we read it all together, we see the fact is, is that in this life, because we live in these bodies, that we're going to sin. Obviously, as we uh, become believers, we should we should be sinning less than we, we did before we were sin, uh, you know, before we were saved, right? And so, what we need to also realize is that as we go through, you know, uh, life and everything else, is that yes, we should be, you know, sinning less, and and we realize, that, you know, the more that we read through God's Word, that as it's revealed to us, that we should say, you know what, did not realize, because there are people out there that say, you know, I did not realize that adultery was wrong. Because he's talking, you know, it says little children. So maybe, you know, adultery or fornication or all those kind of things, you know, swearing, bad language, you know, drinking, all this, you know, all this stuff. Maybe they go, you know, I didn't really realize it until I read God's word or the pastor got up there and preached. And so we need to go back. We cannot forget, you know, we cannot forget or disregard the verses that we read by cherry picking just one verse or just that one part and saying right there it says that you should sin not. Some people will look at that and begin to say, that's what, you know, that you shouldn't do it and whatever. But it has, we need, uh, we need to look at God's word as what it was originally intended to say, right? And we cannot be deceived by that. We cannot say that we don't have sin or that we haven't sinned. Why? Because it says that if we do, then we call him a liar. And I don't know about you. I don't think, I, you know, we really have the guts to sit there actually, you know, to God's face and say that you're a liar. And I wouldn't want to do it anyways. 
But it says that you sin not, and if any man sin, what is he saying just in that little your short segment? He says, live holy. He wants you to live holy. You know, you know, that if we go out, he wants us to live in the light. He wants us to, to be a light. He wants us to bring people in. He says that if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. That if we do mess up, that if we do sin, that if we have this, we have an advocate right there. You know, what does he say in, you know, in the other part of, in, in, uh, in verse 9 of chapter 1? It says, if we, uh, it says, if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is why we have an advocate. It's because he's faithful and just to forgive us, but we've got to confess him. There are some out there that believe that, you know, as soon as you get saved, that you don't really have to confess or repent or do anything as soon as you're saved. They're like, I'm good. No, you still, the Bible says that you need to confess him. And that way, when we confess him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Right? And so that's what we need to, to look at. Um, you know, through this entire process is, is that we have an advocate with the Father. Chapters and verses didn't always exist. That's why I find that sometimes when, uh, like, you have, you know, different, you know, verses that are, you know, put out on Facebook or Instagram or all these different things, and people will read them like, yes, amen. Click, and they'll like it, and they'll share it, but they don't read the whole thing in, the context, uh, in context, and so they could actually be sitting there reading that verse and just applying it to their life the way that they want to, but yet the Bible doesn't mean it that way. It happens all too often. I mean, there's, I'm not saying that I'm not at fault. There's times I'm like, ooh, I, I just needed that verse. And then I go back and I read the entire cha- just the entire chapter, and I'm going, yeah, that's definitely not what I was thinking that it would meant, actually. Sorry. You know, and so for us, we need to read God's word needs to be the final authority. Not our preconceived notions, not what somebody else tells us, but, and the thing is, is that when we're wrong, admit it. Ask God for forgiveness, so. Um, I'm, you know, like I say, I, I need forgiveness in that area, you know, that I, I followed that, you know, for a short period of time in the Christian perfection area. But what is it saying in this whole thing is, is that in us, that when we confess it, obviously we need to confess it, which goes along with what it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 12, it says, let us, it said, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. What we need to do is, is obviously, you know, we sin, we confess it, we get back. Why? You know, and we, get, we come back under grace. The reason being is, is that if we don't, we are moved out under grace. And here's the whole thing. When I say these things, it's not the fact that this has nothing to do with salvation. All right? This entire chapter, this entire book doesn't have to do with salvation because these are already saved people. All right? These are already saved people. It says, don't let it rain in your body. That also implies that it can rain in your mortal body if you leave it unconfessed. And so what you need to do, obviously, when you realize that the Holy Spirit speaks to you as a believer, you need to confess it. Let him be faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and all unrighteousness. Sound similar? So, I mean, sound uh, you know, good there? Understand? I'm only on verse 1. I don't even, I'm not even done with verse 1. Like I said, there's a lot, you know, in just this little one. So, like I said, we confess our sins so that we don't obey them. We don't obey, you know, those lusts that we had. And so when we confess them, you know, uh, we ask them for forgiveness. They don't reign in our body anymore, and we no longer obey them. 
This goes along with what it says in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, where it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Because there's some out there that say that, you know what, I, I'm saved. I can do whatever I want because I'm under grace. This right here is going to blow that right out of the water. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Because some people say, Well, you know what, the more I sin, the more God's grace just covers me. How stupid is that? Oh, let me read the rest of it. God forbid... How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We shouldn't, you know, if we truly love Christ, if we are truly believers in Christ, what are we going to do? It's just like, I, I often liken it to a, a marriage relationship. If I say something dumb, which is most likely to happen, especially, you know, if I have, you know, any kind of, you know, anything going on that I'm just not, you know, focused, what do I need to do? I need to go to my wife Tell her I'm sorry, ask her to forgive me, and then we move on from there, right? We don't sit there and keep on doing it, or else we are really dumb. And then, you know, we can't sit there and be like, okay, I'm going to keep on doing this and expect my wife to, you know, just forgive me. Or you know, her to be like, oh, it's okay. He's just loving me even more by sinning. He just keeps on doing it because, you know, he just loves me. Does that sound like, you know, uh, does that really sound Right? If you say yes, I'm gonna, you know, we, we may need to talk after, after service about this, but the fact is, is that there are Christians out there that believe that, you know, the more they sin, the more the grace abounds. And the Bible says that we cannot continue in sin, you know, uh, because we shouldn't. Why? Because we love God, we love Him, and we're trying to live for Him, right? Same thing with our spouses. We mess up, we, we say we're sorry, uh, ask for forgiveness, and we don't do it again, or we try not to do it again, right? Also in Romans 6.15, it says, what then, shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? God forbid. He is telling us, you know, uh, you know Paul and John are both telling us, yes, that's a, that possibility, but we don't, we don't make a lifestyle out of it. We don't sit there and say, hey, I'm going to do this because, you know, uh, God's grace is going to, you know, somehow when I sin more, God's grace is just going to be, no, we get rid of it. Because why? Because we love God. If we truly love God, we want to be known by him. I don't think that you would have married your spouse if you would have said, you know, I just want to keep on being unfaithful to him. I just love him so much, I'm just going to go around and, you know, just be unfaithful in any way, shape, or form I can do. Right? We don't do that. And so, like I said, if we, conf uh, if we sin, we confess it, and we come back under grace. That's what it says. It says, what then shall we say? Because we are not under the law, but under grace. God forbid. What we need to do is confess it and come back under his grace. This is what it means to walk in the light. This is what it means to follow Christ. This is what it means to abide in him. That, that you know, you know if, we, if we do sin, we confess it and get over it. And you say, you know, I understand. But I want to drive that home. Is because so many people say, well, you know, I just don't feel right. Well, the thing is, is sometimes, well, sometimes feelings can mess you up. Because sometimes I could say, you know, that, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I don't feel saved. Has anybody ever woke up in the morning and said, you know, I just don't feel saved today? Okay, I guess I'm the only one. There's times where I woke up and you're going, wow, this is a pastor saying that. He, there's times that he didn't feel like he was saved. My feelings don't dictate whether I'm saved or not. God's word dictates whether or not I'm saved or not. 
There are times that you're, you're going to wake up and be like, man, I just don't feel like it. But what does God's word say? That if you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved. It doesn't say, well, if you feel like it. It doesn't say, you know, if, if the sun's shining today or, or not. It just says, if you believe upon him, you are saved. Plain and simple. Let's look at verse 2. It says, and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the, also for the sins of the whole world. There's a man out there named John Calvin. Maybe some of you have heard of this man. This man, uh, had, he was back, you know, back in the you know, Reformation times, taught this doctrine called limited atonement. Don't know if you know what that means, but basically he said that Jesus only died for the elect, that Jesus only died for those that he was going to save. That's it. That he didn't die for everyone, that he knew who was going to be saved beforehand, and that he only died for those that were going to be believers, and that's it. That uh, verse, I mean, that thought gets blown out of the water by this one verse. Because what does it say? It says, it says, and he is the propitiation. That word propitiation just means the atonement. He is the atonement for our sins and not for ours only. Not for the saved only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus paid the price. He paid the ransom for what? For the sins of everyone. Now it's a matter of whether or not you will receive that gift. He paid it all. everything, you know, it says right there, it says that, but also, also for the sins of the whole world. He made atonement for everyone. But whether or not you believe it is a different story or not. When somebody tells, when you go out and you preach the gospel to someone, yes, Jesus paid for their sins, but the thing is, is that they have to receive it. It's a gift. They have to accept it. They have to follow it. They have to believe it. That's why it says, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And that, like I said, this verse blows that entire false doctrine out of the water. Just one verse takes care of that entire thought process. Also, it says in, in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. Not just some men, but to all men. He brings salvation to everybody, but the thing is, do they accept it? Do they receive it? It's just the fact that, you know, you know we just obviously a few months ago had Christmas. I could have a Christmas present under there with my name on it and everything else. It's my job whether or not I want to actually receive that gift and say, you know, I accept this gift. That this is a gift. Or just leave it under the tree. And far too many people nowadays hear the gospel and leave the package under the tree. As I said, Jesus offers salvation to everyone, but not all will accept it. That's a sad reality. That Jesus went to the cross, that he died, he did everything possible to reconcile man to himself, and yet there are people that say, I don't want your reconciliation, I don't want your gift, I don't want those things. And that's, it, in some ways, I guess it makes it, you know, somewhat more, somewhat, I guess, easier, if, the, if that's the word, you know, when somebody rejects it when you tell them the gospel. Because you know that they're, that doesn't mean we stop sharing the gospel with them. We still, you know, we still tell them about Jesus no matter what, but we realize that not everyone is going to do it. I mean, did everyone at the time when Jesus was on this earth accept him, believe him, run around him, you know, hug him, and, and just say, you know what, you're God, and I believe in you. We know that we just went through the Gospel of John, and that did not happen. They crucified the man. 
They crucified the Son of God. They killed him. They beat him. Why? Because they didn't want to believe. And that's, that's the thing is that what we need to realize is that sometimes people, when we share the gospel with them, they will get mad and angry. And you could have said just that Jesus loves you. I've said that to people. Say, you know that Jesus loves you? And that opened up a whole big can of worms. I don't know, you know, what happened. Like, I just said Jesus loves you, and they're like, how, you know, and you would have thought that I talked about their mother or something. I mean, it was something like, I mean, they just started, you know, going off on me just for telling, telling them that Jesus loves them. Let's look at verses five, uh, 3 through 5. It says this. And hereby we do know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoso uh, keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. Now these commandments that he's talking about, it's not the fact of us necessarily knowing every single commandment in the Bible. Jesus says that there are two commandments that we need to follow. And these are, most, these are probably difficult for most of us to understand. Or to do. I shouldn't say understand, but to do. It's found in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. It says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. So if you're going, that seems pretty harsh, but there's actually two. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy, thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other, none other commandment greater than these. Love God, love your neighbor. Those are the commandments that, you know, that he is, he, when he's talking about these these commandments to follow is the fact that we're to love God and love our neighbor. And the thing is, is that there's a lot of things that can stem off of those, those two commandments. Is that we need to be the light. That, that's a commandment, but that comes off of what? Love God. But that also stems off to love our neighbor. When we're being a light, we're loving our neighbor, but we're also loving God. And so there's a lot of things that we can couple along with that, but that's what he is telling us, that we need to, that if we're loving him, that we're following him, just you know, same way as a husband or a spouse... That when we read his word, or somebody you know, shows us in God's word, where something that we're doing is, goes against his word, that we need to follow that. It's the same thing with a husband or a spouse, that when we find out that irritates our spouse, hopefully we say, you know what, I'm going to stop doing that. I know that there are some maybe in here, I mean, there's occasional times for myself where I sit there and I'm like, I'm just going to poke that beehive just a little bit more. I know there's nobody else in here that does that, but I mean, I'm just saying for myself, I, you know, and I pay the price for it too, I'll just tell you that, but, um, but that's what we need to do is that we need to love God, love our neighbor, and, feel, and realize that no matter what, that we, when we believe in him and love him, we will want to know him more, like our spouses. The longer that we are with them, we just find out something, you know, new every day. Like I think about this past week, I, you know, or I guess, you know, for Valentine's Day. I went out and got flowers, you know, for my daughter, for my wife. And I only found out, like, two weeks prior to, I've known for a while that she loves Gerber daisies. I've known that, like, since I've met her. But then she goes, oh, I, I like those, like, light pink, antique-looking roses. Had no clue. We've been married for almost 14 years. Never knew. But I was like, this time, I was like, you know, when I went in and got this, I said, let's do the Gerber daisies and let's do that rose. Because the thing is that the more you find out, the more you want to do for your spouse, right? The more you love them. And so the thing is, is that will we ever know Christ completely? 
I mean, we could memorize the entire Bible, but are we actually going to know everything about God and his word? No. But that's the same thing that it's been, you know, even for those that have married, been married for 40, 50, 60 plus years, they don't know everything about their spouse. They don't know like uh, every single thought that their spouse has. Sometimes it gets to the point where you're able to finish your spouse's sentences. But do you know every single thought that your spouse has? No. But does that stop you from wanting to know them more? I hope not. I hope that, you know, says, you know, it says to you that as long as I'm breathing on this earth, I want to know my spouse. Just like you want to know the Lord. You want to know everything about your spouse. And we must grow. And the Bible says that, that we, uh, you know, in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says, But grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. It says to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. The longer that you are with Christ, hopefully you're wanting to know him more. That you want to read his word, that you want to memorize his word, that you want to pray, that you want to seek him, that you want to go to church so you can learn more about him, that you're wanting to tell others about him. Because here's the thing that most people forget that when they share the gospel, the more you share the gospel, the more you learn his word. Do you know why? It's because people will bring up questions to you that maybe you haven't thought about and you have to do the research for it. And find out, okay, they ask me, why is adultery wrong? Why is, you know, and then you begin to learn his word, so that way you go back to him and you could talk to him, and you begin to learn more about God, but you're also able to share that with somebody else. Let's look at uh, verses 6 through 11. There's only 29 verses in here. I'm only, you know, on 6. I'm not, honestly, I'm not going to be able to go through all 29 verses. I'm just telling you that right now. So if you're wondering about your stew at home, it'll hopefully still be there. Maybe a little darker than you thought, but just saying. Let's look at verses 6 through 8. It says, He that saith he abideth in him ought, to, uh, ought, ought himself also so to, uh, so to walk as he walked. Hence the name of our sermon, Walk as He Walked. Let me read that again. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to, uh, so to walk even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, which he, uh, he had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have, you have heard from the beginning. Now, that's a tongue twister of a, of a verse right there. Verse 8, and again, a new commandment write I unto you, which uh, thing is true in him and in you, because the, the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. So what we're going to see uh, as we go through and continue throughout 1 John is, is that when we see the word abiding, walking, following, in the light, in the spirit, they're all synonymous. Yes, there's a, there are a little bit differences in there, but they're all pretty much synonymous. He kind of uses them interchangeably, even, even when he writes the Gospel of John. So like, if you're wanting the simplified form of what he's talking about, go read the Gospel of John. If you're wanting the more complex, read 1 John. You say, well, that's kind of weird because, you know, the Gospel of John is 21 chapters. I would figure that would be easier to understand. Now, there's a reason why when you go out and you preach the Gospel, you give them a Gospel of John because it's easier to understand for those that are, uh, you know, coming in. But 1 John is more complex. Five chapters, but really complex. So keeping his commandments, walking, following uh, abiding, you know, in the light, in the spirit, all synonymous, keeping commands go, go hand in hand with all of these things. 
So if you're loving God, loving your neighbor, you're abiding in him. You're walking in him. You're following in him. You're in, the, uh, you're in the light. You're in the spirit. These are all synonymous together. So if you're following him, you're loving him, you're abiding in him, you're walking with him, you're following him by praying, reading, memorizing, sharing the gospel, going to church, all the things that believers should be doing, they're all synonymous together. He's, he, he puts them all, he kind of couples them all together, saying that these shouldn't be broken. That if you're really wanting to abide, walk, follow in him, in the, you want to be in the spirit, you want to be in the, you know, the light, you're going to do these things, you're going to keep his commandments. They're all synonymous. They all like, just link together like in a chain. And if you want to do those things, that's what's going to happen. As he said, yeah, as I said in verse 7, the tongue twister reverse, it says, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old one, which he had from the beginning. He said the old commandment is the word, which ye have heard from the beginning. So he kind of like flips it back and forth and goes, but simply what that means is he explains it in John chapter 13, verse 34, which says, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. This is, this is the old verse, all right? This is the old commandment he is referring to, but there's also a new one that he puts along with it because the rest of that verse says, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. So he says, to love one another, but now he says, you know, as I have loved you, you're going to go love other people the same way. You're going to go follow, the, you know, you're going, to, you're going to love me by loving your neighbor as well. And he says in John chapter 15, verse 10, it says, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall what? Abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. First John 2, 6, which we just read, it says, he that saith he abideth in himself ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Who? Jesus. Is everybody on the same page so far? Are we all understanding this? It's all, you know, he's saying all this stuff, and it's all the same. Like, he's all, he's saying it, but he's saying it in different ways to where we can understand of how to walk in him. John chapter 8, verse 12 says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So he's using, like I said, follow, walk. All these different ones synonymously, interchangeably together. Saying that, you know what, if you're doing these things, you are keeping my commandments. And we'll see this even further as we go into Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. And it says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as the children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So what does he say? He's saying that, you know what? You know, there were sometimes you were walking in darkness. You were not in the spirit. You were in the flesh. It amazes me sometimes how people, you know, sometimes when they're driving or somebody irritates them, they apologize for, you know, they know that they're in the flesh because they'll come out and say, well, that was just in the flesh, but I just needed to. No, you didn't. You just wanted to. I mean, let's face it. You, you just wanted to. And sometimes, if you're anything like me, you'll say something and then realize, can't take that back. But that hasn't changed the fact that you already said it, right? And so, what is he, he's saying on here, you know, one thing is that we cannot be silent Christians. 
There are you know, way too many times that Christians themselves will say, I'm just going to be a good Christian. I'll just sit over here. I'll do my job. I'll do this all this stuff. I'm just not going to bother. I don't want to really rock the boat. I don't really want to have any problems with anybody. I just want to sit over here. I'm going to do my job. I'm just going to be a light, and I'm not going to really do anything. I'm just going to, and hopefully nobody asks me. We cannot be silent Christians, but what does it say here? It says, but we are to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness. When we see things happening in life, this is you know, why I believe, like over the past, especially over the past 100 plus years or so, that we went to a, from a Christian nation to a secular, uh, you know, secular uh, nation, uh, all within about 100 years. It happened pretty quick. You say, well, 100 years is a long time. No, it's not. I mean, technically, they consider a generation nowadays to be 25, uh, you know, a person that's 25 to 30 years like in there, and then a new generation starts. So that's like four generations. But think about, you know, a lot of times people can live to be 100 years old. And I can guarantee that the same, the same country they saw 100 years ago is a lot different than they see today. It's a whole lot different that could happen in, that, in one lifetime over that. And what we need to do is instead of being silent, we need to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness. That means when we see an injustice happening, we need to stand up for it. I saw this one pastor actually talk about this one verse, and it was, it, was, it was funny to me because he got over there, and he was just like, you know, we can't be silent. We can't be sitting over here like this and going, you know, hiding. And all of a sudden, just one day, just, you're wicked. No, what we need to actually do is stand up and say, that's wicked. That's against God's word. What we need to do is stand up and say, that's not right. That's the reason why we see in our nation today that we see all these things happening. It seems like everything, we're like, everybody's going, well, in the past 10 years, everything seems to change. No, it's been in the past 100 years. It's been slow. In the past 10 years, it's just accelerated. What we need to realize is that we're not a Christian nation anymore. We haven't been. Satan has done a good job of lulling the saints to sleep. The saints of God have not spoken up when they should have. Because if they did, abortion wouldn't, you know, uh, wouldn't be around anymore. They can call it abortion, but what is it? It's called murder. And uh, there's a whole myriad of other things that I can go into that are now considered to be legal. And they say it's okay. I mean, there are... If you've never seen that movie, and I talked to somebody this past week about this, if you've never seen that movie Unplanned, you need to watch it. Bring, you know, a, bo a box of tissues with you as you watch it, but you need to watch it. Because the, the person, the, the main character of the movie is, a, uh, is the director of, she's a director of a clinic at Planned Parenthood. And she believed that she was a Christian at the same time that she was doing all these things that were saying, oh, that the baby doesn't, you know, feel anything. You know, it's not really a baby until, you know, magically it just pops out and then, ta-da, it's a baby. You know, it's just a fetus. It's just this lump of tissue and all sort of stuff. But you need to watch it because you know, about halfway through the movie, she realizes that's not true. And like I said, bring a box of tissues with you as well because it's a, definitely an emotional roller coaster as you watch the, you know, the whole thing. But there's, there's this whole, th the nation now is definitely even different you know, from those that are 50, 60 years old, 70 years old, from when they grew up. I've talked to people, you know, that are you know, right, right around that age, and they say, I miss the nation that I grew up, you know, uh, you know when I was growing up. I miss that nation. I miss, I miss that country. I miss that, you know, time. To, I mean, you can't even let your kids play outside until the streetlights come on. And then have them come home. That's what I did when I was a kid. 
My mom said, go outside. Go play. And then when the lights come on, come on home for dinner. You can't do that anymore. Because then you got all these, you know, uh, you know, creeps out there trying to, like, steal children. It is a completely different one, a completely different nation, you know, country, you know, that we had than when a lot of us were kids. And it, what we need to do is just, we need to stand up, we need to reprove those unfruitful works of darkness. We need to begin to stand up and realize that. Verses 9 uh, through 11. He that saith he is in light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that hateth his brother abideth, oh sorry, he that loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that uh, hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not uh, whether he goeth because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. There are ones that we can go, you know, for ourselves that if somebody does wrong to us, if it goes unchecked long enough, like we're talking about confessing, if we don't confess it, you know, uh, you know, quickly enough, you know, we blind our eyes to where we don't realize and we're actually hating our brother. This is why, to me, it is strange. It is strange to me that there has to be, in a, in, in a town that has different ethnicities, that there has to be a white church, a black church, all these different churches. Why? The last time I read in the book of Acts, it says that God has, you know, that we are all made from one blood, that we're all the same. I don't understand that. When somebody says, well, they go over to the black church, I was like, since when do we just start segregating? I mean, we don't, I mean, I thought we got away from that. I mean, I don't, I know from what I read, you know, in the Bible, that it doesn't say when we get up to heaven, he's going to say, well, okay, your shade of skin color goes here. Stay away. You go over here. Oh, wait. There's a white, you know, uh, you know, one, you know, one was white, one was black. Okay, you're kind of in the middle, so we'll put you over here. There's nowhere in there. It says from every nation, tribe, and tongue, we're going to be all singing together. We're all one blood. There shouldn't. The thing is, is that the church itself should be the most diverse, having every single shade of skin color out there. It should. Why? Because we are saying that we love God, and because of that, we shouldn't hate anyone. But yet, I met ones out there saying that they, that they hate white Christians, or they hate black Christians, or Hispanic Christians, or read your Bible. Because your Bible says that we are to love one another. It didn't say if they have the same skin color as you, or they, or they talk the same way as you, or if they believe the same. It says that we are believers in Christ. Love one another. Love one another. True Christians should never hate his brother or sister in the Lord. And if you do, you need to come out of that darkness. That's what the Bible says. It says that we need to come out of that darkness. We are to walk as Jesus walked. As he said before, or as he says in, uh, in verse 6 of chapter 2, he says, He that saith that he abide in him ought himself also to walk even as Jesus walked. We are to walk like Jesus. Why? Because we call ourselves Christians, which means little Christ. Does Jesus want everyone to receive him? Yes. Sad reality, though. Will everyone receive him? No. He's only going to receive those that are his own. And remember, like I said before, I'm going to tell you this. Remember, John is writing to believers. He's writing this to believers. 
15 through 17. Love not the world, neither the, the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of the Father abide, abideth forever. He is saying, don't get wrapped up with the things of this world, because you know why? It's going to burn up. It's going to pass away. Some of you are going, I just paid my house off. I just paid my car off. But, you know, it's going to, he says it's going to all pass away. He says, and that's why he says, don't get, don't get trapped. He's saying, believers, don't get trapped with the things in this world. Don't love the world. Why? Because it's going to pass away anyways. You know, you go, you, uh, uh, your, our main purpose, I said it before, is our one business is, is to see soul saved. That's the only thing that is going to be able to go with us, is the ones that we, we brought with us along the way. And that is it. So don't, I mean, when the new iPhone comes out or the new Samsung Galaxy comes out or some new whatever, I'm not saying those are bad. But I'm saying don't get so caught up into it, you know, that you, know, that you take away time from, from reading God's word and praying and, and doing those things that you're supposed to be doing, that you, know, that you should be as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. Or a new car comes out or whatever. Don't get caught up in those things. Follow, uh, follow Christ. This is why it says in, in John chapter 15, verse 19, it says, if, uh, if ye were of the world, the world uh, would love his own. But ye are not of this world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world's going to hate you. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, And be not conformed to, uh, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may, uh, may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know the reason why some people say that they don't know what the will of God is? Because they're too wrapped up in what the world has for them. Start getting rid of, you know, start, you know, hating the world, hating the things of this world, and saying, I'm not going to get wrapped up in those, and start loving God. And the thing is, is that you begin to realize, you know what? I know what God wants me to do. I, I understand it. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are, are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Seat your, uh, sorry, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. He wants us, our focus, to be completely upon him. Are there times we get distracted? Yes, but we need to refocus. We need to set our minds on the things that he would have for us. So why is John telling believers all of this? Why is he telling them to be renewed in their mind and to not love the things of, you know, of the world and, and to, uh, uh, you know, to confess our sins and to, do all, and, and, and to follow Christ and to abide in him and to remain in him? Let's look. Let's start at verse, uh, verse 18. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard, that Antichrist should come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. He says there's an Antichrist coming, but there are many that are already out there. Anyone who denies the Son or denies the Father doesn't have either one of them. And if we, if we lessen, if we make one less than the other, we are denying them, and, and the love of the Father is not in them as well. Verse 19, it says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out 
that they uh, might be made manifest that they were not of us. Who is he speaking of? The Antichrist that are out there. The ones that are going out there lying about Jesus, lying about the gospel, making up their own cults, making up their own religions. And some of those, it's sad to say, have the name Christian church attached to it because they're not following what God's word says. In verses uh, 20 and 21, is, you know, we, it says we have an unction of the Holy One. Not because, it says, and here's the thing, it says, not because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it. There are too many you know, times I've heard people say that, you know, I don't know what the unction of the, if you know God, you have the unction. If you know his truth, you know his word, you have that unction. You know what it is. Verse 23 and 24 says this. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye shall also continue in, in the Son and in the Father. The Jewish people, and this is, I made a mistake in this one a long time ago. I, I used to watch that show, uh, Seventh Heaven. If anybody, you know, has ever watched that show, you know, Seventh Heaven back in the day, it was about a preacher, he had some, you know, kids and everything else. Well, later on as he goes, the one son, I believe, wants to marry, he's supposed to be a Christian, wants to marry a Jewish girl and say, well, you know what? The only difference is that she just doesn't believe that Jesus came. I mean, other than that, we believe the exact same thing. No, you don't. You don't. Because then you'd have to deny this verse in 20, uh, verse 23. First, you, know, as it, you know, as it said, as I just read, it says, Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. You can't have one. You know, it's kind of like you can't have your, uh, your cake and eat it too. You've got to have both. You've got to have both. You, cannot, you, know, you can't deny one. There are other religions that will say, well, Jesus is a prophet. Or they'll say, you know, this or this or that. The thing is, is that... Jesus, uh, you know, Jewish people or other religions who believe in one but not the other or who make the Trinity something else that is different than what is presented in the gospel, the Bible says is Antichrist. It's against Christ. It's against God. And you don't have God. You say, well, I'm saved. No, you're not. You need to follow what God's word says. You can't say, you know, just be, well, my pastor a long time ago said, follow what God's word says. He made it plain and simple for us. Sometimes we've got to dig a little bit. But you know what? If, you know, if we want to dig into God's word, you know what? We, have to, you know, we can't worry about getting our, our fingers dirty. We've got to dig into what God's word truly says. Verse 25. And this is the promise that he that promised us even eternal, even eternal life. What does he say? Eternal life is what he has promised and he doesn't take it away. He doesn't take away, you know, eternal life. He promised it to us. He's not going to take it back. He's not an Indian giver. Verse 27. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any, uh, any man teach you, but as the same anointing teach, uh, teacheth you all things, and is truth, and is no lie. And even as it, is, uh, as it had taught you, you shall abide in who? In Christ. The Holy Spirit will teach you and guide you into all truth. This is one of the things, you know, that, you know, that I thought beforehand, but then got, you know, kind of, I'm just telling you things, you know, that I went through was the fact that I felt like I had to go to Bible college in order to find out what the Bible said. 
which the Bible says that he's going to guide me into all truth. So basically, I would say, well, I can't understand it on my own. I need somebody else to interpret it for me. And I'm thankful for those professors that were able to help me, you know, in those things. But did I need to go? No. I mean, John 16, 13 says, How be it when the Spirit of truth has come, which he has because the day of Pentecost had come, it says he will guide you into what? All truth. He's going to guide you into all truth. But what we need to do when we say that he's going to guide us into all truth is that we don't cherry-pick verses and say, well, that has to be what it means because that fits my situation. Sometimes when you see a verse, it's not, you know, God is speaking to you to change your situation, not to leave it the same. Because sometimes we try to say, well, God told me. And if we read it all in, you know, in context, then we understand it, and we're not blaming God for, well, God, your word said this. And you go back and read it, and you're like, oops. Actually, in context, it didn't actually mean that in the first place. I'm going to end with this. Let's look at verses 28 and 29. It says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we, shall, uh, we may have uh, confidence and not be ashamed before his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. We want to, when we follow Christ and, and we believe upon him, we will want to abide with him. That is, you know, I've said it, you know, multiple times throughout this thing. We're going to want to abide. What does abide mean? Or abode? It means that you're going to actually want to take time with them. When I go over to somebody's house and I'm sitting there and I'm having a conversation with them, I'm, a, I'm abiding with them. I'm aboding with them. If that's, I don't know if aboding is actually a word, but I, I'm going to go with it now. We, will, uh, we want to abide with him that we are known by him. That's the thing is, is that we don't want to just know him. We want to be known by him. We want him to know us, right? We want him to know us. And it says, so that we're not ashamed when he comes back. So the way I look at it is, is the fact that we have those opportunities to share Jesus. And you know that it is because all of a sudden your hands get all sweaty and stuff. And you're going, oh, should I tell him about Jesus? Or is this the moment that I should tell him? And, I, you know, should I? And sometimes we miss that opportunity, don't we? And at that moment, we feel ashamed, right? Because we're like, I should have done it. But then the other times where, you know, that we go out there and we share the gospel with someone and we do it, you know, yeah, we may have had those sweaty hands, but we, we're excited. Why? Why? Because we did it. We weren't ashamed of it. The thing is, is that we, well, he's telling us that we want to share the gospel so that way when he comes back, we don't have to go. Not that we're not all of a sudden, like, I think some people like take this as like they're not saved all of a sudden. But it's the fact that as a kid realizes, you know, when they do wrong, that we, we just don't want to sit there with our heads, you know, hanging low going, sorry, I, I, I just, I didn't do it. But we want to, you know, stand before him, not ashamed. But we want Jesus to, you know, to look at us and just have a smile and says, I saw all those times that, you know, that your family came against you. I saw all the times that your enemies came against you. I saw all those times, but you stood up for me. You didn't back down. I saw all those times, you know, you know, that you went, you know, all the way to the nth degree, that you went out and you shared the gospel with people and you told them about me and everything else. I saw those times. And you know what? And you weren't afraid. You didn't back down. You didn't deny me. And you weren't ashamed, but you stood up because why? Because you're proud of me. Because you want to abide with me. If we walk like Jesus, 
If we want to walk like Jesus, then we abide in him and we don't give way to the flesh. The flesh is going to tell us not to share the gospel. The flesh is going to tell us to keep on sinning. The flesh is going to do it. What we want to do is we want to live in the spirit. And that's what John is telling us. He says, this is how you live in the spirit. You keep my commandments. You learn more about me. You pray. You abide. You, I mean, all these things go together. Everything about the Christian life goes together. They're interlocked. We can't sit there and separate or compartmentalize our, our Christian walk. We can't say, well, I'm a Christian you know, now because I'm at church. But when I leave here, oh, it's on. There's, there's far too many people that have that idea. That when they come to church, oh, I better you know, watch my mouth because you know, the pastor's there. I better go do this. You know, I'm going to but I better watch my mouth. I better you know, not, not tell them what I just did. No, he says, walk as he walked. He wants us to follow him. He wants us to abide in him and walk with him. This is why it says in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 4, it says, Therefore, sorry, there is therefore now no condemnation which are in Christ Jesus. It says, listen to the next part, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. What we need to follow is him in spirit and in truth. We need to abide and remain in him. This is what John wants us to know. This is the reason why John begins to tell us. He says, this is how you abide. This is how you remain. This is how you know you're in him. This is how you do all these things. Why? Because there are antichrists coming. And they're already there. And he's like, I want you to realize that you need to walk in the spirit. Why? So when an antichrist come up, you can just rebuke him right then and there. You can reprove those unfruitful works of darkness. He wants us to walk in the light. He wants us to walk in the spirit. He wants us to abide and remain in him. But the way that we do that is by, do, uh, is by following what he tells us to do here in First, First John chapter 2. Is that we need to follow him. There's no condemnation. When you're ashamed, what do you feel? Condemnation. But he says there isn't any if you're walking after the spirit and not after the flesh. And as I said before, remember, he is saying this to believers and not unbelievers. That it is possible for a person to walk in the flesh as a believer. We have way too many fleshly Christians. We have way too many. We need more Christians walking in the Spirit, standing up and reproving, reproving the works of darkness. Amen?